generative AI takes the center stage. But is your enterprise still watching from the sidelines? Come on in, let's fix that. This is Not Another Bot, the Generative AI Show, where we unpack and help you understand the rapidly evolving space of conversational experiences and the technology behind it all. Here is your host, TJ. Hello and welcome to Not Another Bot, the Generative AI Show. I'm your host, TJ. Joining me today is Natalie, a very well-known name in the industry. Natalie's impressive career traverses the world of technology, customer and employee experience, and business transformation. As a renowned business consultant, she helps brand reduce costs and increase revenue by transforming the customer employee experience. She has held key positions and consulted for companies like Salesforce, Hulu, Marriott, and General Electric, among others. And currently, she's making significant contributions as an Abundance 360 member and consultant, as well as a Chief Customer Experience Officer consultant and expert in residence at the Customer and Employee Experience Advisory. Natalie is also the co-author of the best-selling book, Empathy in Action, How to Deliver Great Customer Experience at Scale. And I'm super proud to have one with me, with a profound insights into the role of AI in shaping customer experience and her deep commitment to embedding empathy into technology. She's a true visionary in our field. Natalie's mantra, that is, what is good for employees and customers is ultimately what is also good for companies, forms the backbone of her work. Welcome, Natalie. We're pumped to have you here. Ah, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right, Natalie, let's just get started. Can you share a bit more about your journey from studying meteorological engineering to becoming a recognized leader in customer experience and AI? It's a complete shift in terms of, you know, going all the way from engineering to building something more specific the customer experiences domain and AI. We'd love to understand how that shift happened and if you want to share a little bit more insights there. I come from a family of engineers. My dad was an engineer and he took me to work with him at Ford Motor Company. And I met a woman who was looking at the microscopic properties that then led to their ability to be used in a car. So why is a a bumper made out of the kind of material it is and why is a tire made out of material that can withstand going over big holes and all kinds of things. And so to me, it was really fascinating to look at the connection between the structure and how it performed and then the results. And so as a young engineer, I was often asked to consult on projects and I saw a lot of the suggestions that were made weren't really customer centric. So there was a whole in the book, I talk about an opportunity to galvanize steel and for the car doors. And the decision got made that was more along the lines of planned obsolescence. And so I realized that I had this knack for understanding the customer and also the employee because that decision made an impression on me as an employee So I realized I really had this orientation, maybe it's just in my DNA, to be thinking about the customer and then also how does the work dynamic impact the employee and then how does that connect to what we deliver for customers and employees in the long run. And it's just been an interesting, so now I've just basically, I mean, there were a series of events, right, that happened, but I ended up getting hired by PricewaterhouseCoopers to consult in the call center space and CRM. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And I've used those engineering skills to do root cause analysis 
and start to really kind of connect some of the dots, especially when it comes to customer employee experience. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, this massive shift, but also we know that the sort of experience and expertise you bring and things you do is just amazing. And especially for us in, in this field who are building platform for customer experience, it's just a massive validation when we hear from you and the sort of learnings, it's totally empathic. So awesome. Good to hear. Well, before we go into the actual conversation a bit on the AI and generative AI, I do think that we want to also learn, and I'm sure the audience would love to learn about what inspired your book? I mean, some of it I think you mentioned already, but Empathy in Action is a big thing in itself. So what inspired your book, Empathy in Action, and how does it tie into your overall mission of where you're heading from here on? So I think the concept of empathy really came from my early days working in the auto industry. And one of the people that I really studied was Edward Deming. And so if you remember that story, he had been trying to get the attention of the American auto industry to really look at the feedback from customers and employees. And they basically weren't open to that. And so he ended up going to Japan and had the ear of many executives and leaders there. And what I saw was, so if we define empathy as the ability to hear the other person's perspective or point of view, what we're really doing is we're collecting feedback. And oftentimes feedback where we may have a blind spot or we may just not know what we don't know. And what I find is most people see the world through their lens, through their eyes, right? Their perspective. And it totally makes sense. And where we, the richness in life comes from getting that other perspective. And so we have the ability, we've always had the ability to talk to customers and talk to employees and look at that data but it's really a mindset perspective of how valuable that is. And so for me, the concept of empathy means that you're actually listening, understanding what your customers and employees want and need, and then integrating that feedback back in to what you're doing so that you're delivering products and services that really meet the needs of your two most important assets. Absolutely. What's fascinating to me is that it seems like common sense and yet we have this perspective that we know better. And I'm not pointing fingers, but it's just like we as human beings think we know better. And what I've learned in the process of becoming what I would call an empathy practitioner is that there are a lot of things that all of us, we don't know that we don't know. And having that other perspective can really change the choices and decisions that you make. And I think there's no field that this is more applicable to than what we're doing, especially when it comes to technology. Totally. Well, so rightly said. <laughs> it's, the opinions are always around, but I think you definitely have to get that outside in view and like lead with empathy to kind of even understand what customers and employees are saying. It's so very well articulated. Now, keeping this topic to what you just mentioned, now, when it comes to automating customer experiences and customer service or support, like companies like us uh, who are doing that, Question to you would be, what does empathy really mean to you in that sort of a setup? And how does this differ from human to human interaction? Where it's leading towards this particular question is that how do we predominantly translate human empathy into an AI language and keep the empathy still kind of intact while conversing with a chatbot or AI bot or automated customer platforms? 
So I think the first thing is a decision, whether you're a software developer, a vendor, or whether you're a company implementing this, is are you really customer and employee centric? And so what I find is people think they are until I start to ask them questions and they realize, oh, we didn't really see that we weren't. And so really deciding that and really understanding whether you are or are not. And then I think another thing that's really important is to understand what is it that you're trying to accomplish. So if we just look at the technology itself, can the technology feel? No. But can you design an experience that emulates the feeling that you're really talking to a person or that person gets what we're asking for? And the great thing about the large language models is that it gives us context that we've never had before. And that context is really what creates the feeling of relatableness, I believe. And so when you start to think about what is it that you're really doing and delivering an experience, you're trying to take the input of the customer and take and deliver a solution that's going to satisfy their needs. And I think chatbots historically and self-service in general was limited. And so now we have a trust problem because if you use the chatbot, we all have in our personal lives, oftentimes we're met with, mm, I'm not really sure if the chatbot's going to give me the answer I want, or I got an answer that didn't make sense. And so now we have to rebuild that trust. What's great about platforms like ChatGBT and, and all of the others is that it has the ability to build in this contextual model that would allow us to respond in a way that did deliver those kind of interactions. But now we're going to have to train customers to want to use it because otherwise what they do is they may use self-service, but then you can see that same customer in your first contact resolution. If you're keeping track of the number of times someone contacted someone, they call the agent just to check. So what I think is really exciting is that we have this opportunity to use technology that can do so much more than we've ever had before. And at the same time, I think that we really need to be mindful of how we're designing it. And part of that, I think, is that because we have so much, so I think one of the things that we had talked about looking at is the ability to really become customer centric. So you might say, well, how do I know? So we have so much data in the contact center from text, emails, voice. So if you take that and you do what I believe is pronounced concision, which is synthesizing and creating a concise summary, you can look at the volumes of data very, very quickly and be able to get a perspective on what's working and what's not working. And once you had that information, now you can really get a picture of current state and the gaps and really solving for what didn't work. And so that's a way of using a large language model to become customer centric. And then once you have that information, then start to design the product or then start to design the experience. And I know everybody who's in technology wants to jump straight to, let's see what the thing can do, right? Let's test it. Let's play with it. I mean, I've had a lot of fun with chat GPT myself in terms of asking it a question and honing my prompt skills and really trying to figure out what its capabilities are. And it's really cool. But 
I can see where oftentimes we just jump to the technology and we haven't really considered what the customer really wants. And so you had asked me about customer satisfaction or loyalty. It's really about designing if the customer gets what they want and need. Have a marketing question. If you have just a general question or a sales question or a broke fix kind of question, if you can really help that person get the answer, now we've created someone that feels satisfied and that satisfaction is really what's going to drive the loyalty. So what's fascinating to me is that a lot of the principles that we've had in this field for a very long time still apply and they apply even more because if you think at the speed at which we're going, if you didn't know what you didn't know, you could be delivering the wrong things faster. Well, you just kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just certainly have the expertise to explain it, but explain it so well. For us, we have been building these experiences and the platform for the longest time. Certainly building very enterprise-specific large language models, combining it with the CDPs, the knowledge search. We have a very specific multi-level architecture, which is certainly coming out well. I think biggest thing, and we'll talk more about it in this conversation too, is how we were able to create smaller models to be very specific on the use cases. I think a lot of the times we're talking to customers because they all want to kind of jump into this whole technology innovation. It's like, hey, take all of it and just, you know, put it in generative AI. But I think we are going with the idea, what is your problem? What's your use case? And then we have built these very specific large language models for summarization, for document Q&A, for cognition, and a lot more of those. And we're consistently building for FAQ, which is basically helping and being very specific to what customer really wants for the use cases and then deploying it for them. So I think to your point, building experience and then getting and thinking about building loyalty when they're satisfied is critical, but also the fact that how they're thinking about the adoption from a use case perspective is equally critical. On that note, what would you say, Natalie, is the most significant obstacle when trying to make AI more empathetic? And how can businesses really navigate this? Because to your point, it's new, it's very human-like with large language models, with NLP innovation and generative AI. But then there are still businesses want to navigate further and they really want to feel that human-like interaction. Are there any proven strategies to overcome you know, any of these current obstacles to make AI more empathetic? And if you have any examples of like a use case you want to share, it would be great, Matt. I think it really does go back to we as the humans control the machine, at least for now. I know there's a lot of people that are worried about that whole concept. And I think that if we really think about how are we going to create, let's say, a personalized experience. So Mercedes-Benz just released a chatbot for their car and their app. And what they did there was they're using uh, voice prompts. And some of the issues there were around trust and privacy. So if we start to think about using some sort of walled garden approach, so rather than just taking all our customer data and putting it into the open AI system, what Mercedes has done is use Azure open AI services so that they're using Microsoft's cloud and the AI platform within a specific instance. And they're calling it the Mercedes-Benz Intelligent Cloud. So there you're overcoming the issues with privacy and trust, which are really key because if people don't trust it, then they're not going to use it. 
And now we start to really think about, okay, so if we ingest a lot of customer data and the types of questions that customers are asking, and we have the context and we understand what's prompting them to react, and then we have used the database of all the information and the reasons why, now we can start to contextualize when someone says these things. And before bots were very rule-based and they didn't really have the technology to understand context. And so what I want to say is there's not magical thinking here, right? It isn't magic. I mean, there's still technology that's crunching things, right? So part of what we need to understand is what you feed the model and how you train the model, especially in a walled garden situation, is very key because that's where it's going to generate the interactions from. A lot of people say, well, how do I get ready? Well, part of it is just looking at your knowledge base, looking at your workflow processes, looking at your previous chat transcriptions and starting to really. And so what's cool about this is the ability to synthesize all that and to come up with root causes and ways to look at why do people call. And so to me, being empathetic is you understand me as a customer. You have preemptively understood 80% of your calls, and there's always going to be some percentage of interactions that are going to be outside that norm. But you really have studied as a company or as a vendor the reasons why I need help. And then you're designing that experience with the data to be highly predictive. So you could use predictive analytics to be able to create a really great interaction based on my preferences, based on the things that I've done before, looking at patterns and the next best actions. But again, that comes from integrating some of that historical data. And so the the data is still really important because it's not just some magical thing that the bot is really, really smart. It does require training. And that's part of the the it's awesome. Yeah, I think one of the things with it, Natalie, I mean, I think you will be a little bit happy to hear about this is also down. So we have been using most of the vendors in our space have been using large language models for the, for some time, because otherwise you certainly can't build the context or the sort of outcomes which are important for complex situations. I think the biggest thing we have seen with the adoption of net new large language models and also our own large language models we have built is to solve for the complex situations and bringing a lot of the human-like interactions and empathy, which was not possible. And we were able to now touch a long tail of the customer situations and use cases. But I think the biggest thing for us at this moment, what we're definitely doing is this whole thing or concept around goal-based conversations, Natalie, where we have created basically a dynamic chat window in our platform. So rather than in a board building framework, you would have to go through the entire workflow, write every intent, every utterance, and then train them. So one and a half years back, we launched something called as a dynamic NLP, which was a pre-trained model on like all 12 billion conversations that happens on the back end, anonymized data, certainly. And then that helped in kind of going to the next step with the LOG, which is our GPT-based large language model to bring that human-like interaction. And we're seeing close to 80 to 90% automation and self-serve because the flows are created dynamically based on the prompt that's written. My question to you is, it may be a little bit futuristic, but I'm sure 
you touched upon it to an extent. Would you have any sort of thought around a fully autonomous customer experience world in the next down the line two years from now? Because we're seeing around 80 or 90% for complex situations too, but for some use cases, not all per se. But will there be a world in next one or two years or even more where you'd say everything being like fully autonomous, just like Tesla cars being full self-driving? Do you have any thoughts on that? So there are really a couple schools of thought here. One is that AI is going to take over and it's going to eliminate call centers. And I think there was, when self-service first came out, it was the end of the contact center. And there was this concept of if you actually do everything right, they won't call you. So I think that that's not possible to have contacts. And I think also the idea of not having any contacts comes from thinking of the contact center as a cost center. So if you think about it as a profit center or an opportunity to connect and build relationships and build loyalty, now it's a relationship center. So you actually do want to interact with your customers because that's where you're going to drive the relationship and the trust and then the long-term loyalty. So starting to think about designing why do people need to interact with the company and then designing experiences that deliver things that they actually need. So one of the reasons, and it's kind of a fascinating case study that the reasons Amazon became so successful is that they used a lot of customer advocacy groups. So every single day they would talk to customers who are using the platform and say, what do you like? What don't you like? And they would get feedback and they would integrate that all the time in terms of really making a platform. If you Google and you look up pictures of what Amazon looked like years ago, like you can't even imagine the marketplace that it is today. And the way that they really did that was they had this concept of when they have a meeting, they save a place in the room, a seat for the customer because everything is through that customer lens. And so I think that's a really good lesson learned in terms of future proofing and trying to really meet that need. Because again, we go back to what kind of experiences do we want to design? Who are they for? It can be kind of an intellectual fun. Let's see what the technology can do. Or it can be, let's really figure out what these people who are contacting us, what do they really need? And then using all that amazing engineering and brain power to be able to deliver an experience that's focused on creating those experiences and using the relational models that have now context to be able to deliver an experience that is going to garner that trust so that people will use it. I still think that people will contact contact centers. I think whether it's by phone or whether it's by chat or email or social even, I don't personally think, but we'll see, right? Jury's out. I don't think that you'll ever have a time when you don't need humans. And I think there's, like in my own consulting that I'm doing with DoorDash, we find there's a lot of instances for the type of cases. I mean, DoorDash is a delivery company. If you're a dasher, you're looking for information about work, or if you're a customer, you're like wondering where your food or something that you got from the drugstore. So it's a delivery company. And what we find is there are some interactions that really work really, really well with respect to AI 
and to being able to deliver self-service or very, very minimal people interactions. But let's say that you're a dasher and you are in the midst of delivering something and you walk up to someone's house and you get bit by a dog. So now can self-service help that dasher tell DoorDash that delivery person just got bit by a dog and they're not going to be able to complete the delivery? And might the dasher need help? And the way that we started to really look at different levels of detecting emotion, detecting indicators of frustration, looking at the need for human interactions came from really looking at thousands of chats and phone interactions and determining emotional indicators, right? Does someone repeat the story? You know, like in the chat, is there like WTF, bold, lots of question marks, right? So these are indicators. I'm frustrated. You're not giving me what I need. So starting to look at that historically, when does that happen? What kind of situations or use cases or scenarios does that happen? And how can we better be more proactive about anticipating those so that more things can be automated? And then there's a certain percentage and every business is going to be different. So I think that there are situations that you can look at to really determine when you really need a human interaction and when can something be fully automated. And so if it's an emergency or it's about money or payment or someone being sick, there are some situations I think that technology may not be able to handle the emotional side of that interaction. And they really need to talk to a human being and be reassured that the company's got their back. So I think it comes from aggregating those types of experiences and situations and scenarios and really understanding them. And I think some businesses will be able to automate quite a bit and other businesses may not be able to automate as much. Hey listeners, we have to hit the pause button here. That was such a great conversation. Feel free to push play on the second part and pour yourself another cup of coffee. We'll be right back. 